Recently, um, I've been involved in a committee to organise a conference, like a day symposium for clergy. And um, I've got to know um, a person uh, by the name of Sarah Lindenmeyer, who works for the Melbourne City Council as um, a social, urban social planner and strategist. So um, what I've learned from Sarah is the thinking that goes behind how the CBD is being designed. So you might look at it, the CBD and go, man, there's so many towers going up and you know, thousands and thousands of people moving in and the traffic. And um, she, what they've done is in the, in the um, Melbourne City Council, they've de developed this vision that Melbourne will be a sustainable, inventive and inclusive city that is vibrant and flourishing. And what they mean by that is this, a city that cares for the environment, a city for people, a creative city, a prosperous city, a knowledge city, a connected city, a deliberative city, which is something to do with how they use democratic approaches to decision making, and a city managing change, and a city with an Aboriginal focus. And if you dig down into the second one, which is a city for people, we learn what they mean by that, that is this. A city for people welcomes all. It is accessible, affordable, inclusive, safe and engaging. It promotes health and well-being, participation and social justice. A city for people has political, religious and intellectual freedom that nurtures a rich and dynamic culture. It respects, celebrates and embraces human diversity. People of all ages and abilities feel secure and empowered. Family-friendly design in city planning puts the community at the forefront, right? There's a bit of thinking behind this. And um, Sarah's also given me like the, the, even the further back-end thinking behind this. And there's all this research that social planners use about what makes a city flourish. Uh, one of the things she said was, um, you know, uh, cities flourish when, um, city, when women and children feel safe. That's a thing that social planners know. If, if, a, if a city feels unsafe for women and children, then there's going to be, like, the crime rate's going to go up and, and economic figures are going to go down. Another thing that they've worked out, social planners, and it sort of sounds obvious, but it's not totally obvious, is that when you have people relating across tribally in a city, so when old people and young people relate, and when rich and poor, and when people from different religions... Um, relate, different levels of education relate, that um, the city will flourish. And so what the social planners try and do is create contexts for the city so that that will happen, believe it or not. You may not realise this, but, you know, Fed Square or buildings like that that go up or um, the laneways, all these kind of parts of the city that are there, there is thinking that someone's had at the back end of that saying we want to try and promote... Um, friendships and relationships to form across the tribes because they know that the inclination of cities at the moment is the opposite. So if you think about yourself in your block of units or um, in your house or wherever you are living, um, how much are you connecting with the next door neighbour? In my case, with Anthea and Andrea, we connect all the time. But um, the, the people on the other side, I've not, hardly even met them. Um, and... Um, and, and this is the case for most of us. It's very hard to get to know the people that are living in your street even. And if you're in one of those high-density living apartment blocks, you know, um, like where Paul and Catherine used to live in, um, you know, opposite Ikea with, with like a 1,000 apartments, it's actually surprisingly difficult to get 
form relationships with the other people because you've all got swipe cards and, you know, they make it so that you don't have to form relationships in some of those buildings. What's interesting is that for our vision in our church, the first statement in our vision statement engages with this idea. Imagine a church community who developed... um, who cultivated an open and charitable dialogue about Jesus with the no-religion tribes of Melbourne's inner north. We actually have this as part of our our vision, that we want to engage in form relationships with not only other Anglicans, not only other Christians, but actually people who are not even religious, people who actually consciously say, I'm not a religious person. Um, The inner north of Melbourne has twice the... A uh, number of people in the rest of Australia who take no religion on the census. And this is a big group of people, about 40% in this area. Uh, they're not nominally religious, they are not religious. And I want you to imagine a church community that actually could have that dialogue. Now, you might feel uncomfortable with the phrase, the no religion tribes, Melbourne's in the north. I know many of us don't like the drawing lines between Christians and other people. Many of us um, don't like the us and them language. And I can understand where you're coming from because the church often does this too much. It pushes that too much um, across the world. We, in the past, have um, been not very good at being inclusive. Um, But I don't want you to hear the no religion tribes as a pejorative uh, label. It's a more... um, if a more helpful way of describing, um, it, for me, it's a, a very helpful way of describing subculture because it's just a real subculture that actually exists. Um, and we, we don't like to highlight these differences between people who go to church on Sundays and people who don't, pe- between people who read sacred texts as being inspired by a divine being and people who don't, people who pray and people who don't. But, um, but if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you know that this is a reality in our area. If you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, you're in a minority group. That's okay, but I'm just pointing it out, you know. Let's just not pretend that we're not. Um, And I know that you know that about yourself, and that's why you find it difficult just to be totally open about your Christian faith to your colleagues at work and school and to your neighbours, that you you find it a bit awkward to bring it up. Um, it's much easier, isn't it, tied in our little enclave, in our holy huddle. And that's not unique to us as Christians. Every tribe does it in a way, like every tribe wants to just stick together. But actually the gospel drives us out to not be like that. And at Mary Creek Anglican, we want to go against that um, inclination to turn in on ourselves. We want to be a church that as a collective and as an individual that we get to know our neighbours more than just acquaintances, but that we actually form relationships, form dialogue, especially with those people who say that they're not religious. And today, as we begin our vision series, which will go on for the next few weeks, uh, which I've done every year, um, I try and flesh it out from a different angle. And I've found that as we've stuck with the vision each year, that I feel like we've become more nuanced in our understanding of what all this means. Um, that we start to realise what this actually means. And so this morning, when, I, when we look at this idea of having a dialogue with the no-religion tribes about Jesus, I want us to focus on the wisdom of listening. When you think about the word dialogue, you might think that involves lots of talking, 
But in actual fact, I want to suggest that to develop this effective cross-tribal conversation, this engagement, we need to become really, really, really good listeners. So let's look at the wisdom of listening. Proverbs 18 has it. This chapter is about the power of speech and that it both creates and destroys life. Verse 21, the, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. So then we're urged to learn to give good answers and careful, carefully considered um, um, approaches to, that we should be listening carefully and reflect. In verse 23, um, the poor, they plead for mercy humbly, but the rich, powerful people answer harshly. Actually, the poor have got it right. The poor make humble requests. The rich is speaking with a rough tone. Verse 13 says, To answer before listening, that's folly and shame. And verse 15, The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. So it is possible for people, all people, to speak with wisdom. Verse 4 says, the words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. It's in there. The wisdom is there. But what we can't think is that um, necessarily you are the one filled with all the wisdom. That it's coming out of your mouth and the other person just has to hear you. It actually might be coming out of the person's mouth that you're listening to. This listening requires wisdom of its own. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in the Life, Life Together, Christians so often think that they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. That is the service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. And then he also wrote, The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship is, of the church is listening to them. Just as the love of God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is listening to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear. God's listening to us all the time. So to be a godly person means to be listening to others all the time too. It is only through wisdom, moral reflection and careful thought that you can gain understanding. So look at what the fool does. Verse 2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And verse 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Our passage from James 1 sort of made a similar point, didn't it? James is also a New Testament wisdom literature. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And if you're one of these people who speak because you think you are intellectually superior to everyone around you, or because you have all the answers, or just because you love the sound of your own voice, then look at the damage you can cause. Verse 6, of, uh, we're back in Proverbs now. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouth, mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing. 
and their lips are a snare to their very lives. You can actually beat people up with your words. You might have even been beaten up yourself by other people's words. You might have beaten somebody up recently, this week, by harsh words. Our mouths can build people up and tear people down. So our default should be just to use our ears. Part of the problem is that over time, the words that we use, well, this can be a positive or a negative, but in the case of the Proverbs, we're putting out the negative. The words that we use actually can change us internally. Um, Tom, Alan told me a new word this week, epigenetics. I just wanted to use it in the sermon. Um, but it's this idea that, I'm probably about to say something wrong here, but it's the idea that you can actually change something in your genetic nature. Is that right, Tom? Not if I'm... No, no, don't worry about it. Ignore the epigenetics word, but... The point is that you can internally change yourself. Let's stick with the Proverbs. Epigenetically, you can just choose to believe me or not. Um, But you can change internally who you are, let's use the word soul here, by all the words that come out of your mouth. If you're negative all the time or harsh or angry to someone, that over time, this is what happens. The words of a gospel-like choice morsels, they go down to the inmost parts. And you might have met angry people who just always saying hurtful things about other people. They carry this weight around. One of the key aspects of being wise in your listening is fair, being fair. You shouldn't show favoured people who are, are sinful or unjust, who are guilty of, of wrongdoings. It says in verse 5, it's not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. You should carefully consider both sides of an argument. That's what, what a fair and wise person does before you jump in. Verse 17, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right, but then until someone comes forward and cross-examines, and then you go, oh, well, there is another opinion here. And when you do give an answer, don't base your wisdom on the world's wisdom, but base it on God's wisdom. In our James 1 passage, it says in verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's ultimately the way they're to be good listeners and to develop this dialogue. Is as we're sitting there listening with our open hearts and minds, we're actually also listening to God speak through the word, not sort of processing using a whole lot of frameworks that we get from the world. There's another kind of theme that I'm just going to end in the Proverbs bit, as we, Proverbs James bit, um, that's in there, which I, I do want to pull out. And it's to do with the connection between our wisdom and our ability to listen and the relationships we have. So if you intentionally isolate yourself as a person in life, so if you push people away and kind of live in your own little world, um, if you don't let people close to you and you don't form friendships, uh, then you will actually start to have not a very good perspective on the world. Um, Having good and close and reliable friends who stick together, like a brother and sister, 
for some, like it says in verse 24, or who, um, or for some people who are able to have um, a healthy marriage, when, you know, that bit about that finding a good wife, you know, verse 22, through friendships or through healthy friendships or marriage, you can develop much more um, good perspective on the world and on, on life and on people's thinking, learn empathy, learn to be other person-centred, learning to consider other people's needs before your own. That's in, it, in this passage. I think it's worth considering. Ultimately, all of this is about the difference between, or the choice between being haughty, not naughty, but haughty, and being humble. Verse 12 says, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honour. So let's just sum up the, I think there's about five main ideas that we've got out of the James and the Proverbs passage about how we can sharpen our understanding of what it means to um, be a church that has an open and charitable dialogue with people from another tribe who call themselves not religious. Five things. First, realise the power of our words to build up and destroy. Secondly, learn to be listeners, looking for the wisdom in other people's words. Third, not take sides with um, sinful people with sinful motives. Four, um, to have a posture of humility, trying our best to give carefully considered answers instead of rushing to give our opinion. And five, pursuing healthy relationships for our own wisdom and health, so that we will not only so that we won't be self-focused, but we'll be other person-focused. And none of this comes naturally to us. To become a good listener requires focus and practice. Our minds are cluttered with all the things that we're doing in our life. Uh, right now, your mind's probably cluttered with, oh, what are we going to cook for lunch, or what are we going to, what work do I have to get in before Monday starts? You know, uh, we're thinking of our busy schedule. We're distracted by mobile phones. We're consumed by our thoughts. We're thinking about what we're going to say next when the other person's talking. Our ears are actually turned off, and we're processing a thought. We fidget. We want the person who is talking to hurry up so that we can get on to the next conversation. But is this helpful? Is it healing? Does this show respect? Is this making for a better world? No, it's not. Um, the problem is not with, with not listening, is that it's arrogant. And actually, this is becoming a system, systemic problem in our world. Um, it's, it's actually taking over, it seems. Since the rise of populism, with Brexit, with Trump, with Marine Le Pen, with Hansen, there's been a lot of discussion about what the politically progressive or liberal um, set have been doing wrong. A lot of navel-gazing. What have we, how has this happened? Um, and one thought going around is that, um, you know, if we call this set liberals, I don't like the title the left, let's call them liberals. I don't know why that's better, but anyway. Um, if they or we, if we call it we, have made a fundamental mistake is that we've lost humility. Um, if you look at America, the American liberals, uh, people who voted Democrat or other independent, are blaming right now the Republicans for all the mess that's going on, uh, for stirring up the prejudices in Trump's base, um, uh, and for supporting the, dis- the disaffected white working class. They, they are saying, you're going to now have to suffer the consequences for electing Trump. Um, so they're not even not even considering that it's potentially something that they've done. There's not, I, I, 
an inability to, to listen and to consider other people's opinions. There's a book um, that came out called Listen Liberal. Um, and, and it says that liberals in America in general, and the Democratic Party in particular, need to do a lot of time reflecting on who they are as people. And this is a person that writes critiques of both sides. It's, it's not, not a partisan book necessarily. So he says, you know, um, Thomas Frank is the author, instead of just moving around together in a liberal elite bubble going to TED Talks, um, he says, you need to engage with people who are outside of your tribe. Um, and he actually thinks in this book that Bernie Sanders actually was onto something. And that's why potentially that could have been a better option for America. America. Um, you know, a person who was listening to the cries of the, um, the, the poorer Poor, poorer sections of America in, the, in what they call the flyover states. Um, this author calls the Ivy League blue state liberal, uh, limousine liberals, he calls them, um, that, light, uh, that tight little network of enlightened striders who've allegedly been running the country into the ground, he says. Um, so he's seeing hubris amongst the upper echelon. Now, I think about this area of Melbourne and I think... That, we, we experience that here, this moral superiority, this kind of, um, you know, we're more educated, we understand how the world should be run sort of thing. And it's a bit hard to kind of parse all of this because we're Christians in the middle of that. But I wonder if we're affected by that, either from the point of view of being Christians, we, we're superior, we know how things should be, or from being Christians living in the, in the north, we also have a bit of the progressive liberal superiority as well. And what Thomas Frank says is for the Democrats in America, they're never going to get anywhere unless they get off their high horse and they learn to listen and engage. It's possible for any tribe to make this mistake. It's, it's possible for us as Christians to even perceive that we're on the receiving end of this hubris. Either way, we're called to not be like this. Proverbs 18 and James 1 is telling us to not get on a high horse and look down on other people. That we're to be slow to speak and quick to listen. That we're well considered in our answers and know that our words can build up and tear down. So let's just think about applying it more specifically. What strategies can we have to achieve this vision? At Mary Creek, we do put in various um, you know, activities and programs to promote dialogue and cross-tribal interaction. Like yesterday, we had the great um, playgroups concert at the Collingwood Town Hall. 95 people came, which was amazing. And um, let's give a big clap. Yeah. And lots of those people were not from our playgroup. Lots of those people. I mean, it got shared on various Facebook event sites. And so, you know, what, what can kids do today for free? And so suddenly there was all these families coming, apart from church families. It's really good. And we have events like that through the year, like Christmas in the park, various things. Um, but actually, what we're talking about really can only be programmed a little bit. It's, what we're talking about is a lifestyle thing. It's the choices we make. So first of all, um, we need to have some behavioural strategies as individuals. We need to learn to be active listeners. And this is very sort of plain application, but it's, it's often the best application. It's like this. So face the person that you're talking to and listen to them and look at their eyes. That's how you become a good listener. Maintain eye contact, not just staring at the carpet or at your phone or over the person's shoulder. 
Try and be attentive and relaxed, not um, fidgety, fidgety, fidgety or distracted or tense. Listen to the words and, and even like um, repeat what they're saying back to them in their own word, in your own words, to show that you actually have processed what the other person's saying. Um, wait for the speaker to pause to ask um, clarifying questions. Probe for further details. Don't just wait for them to stop their sentence so that you can start talking. Listen to the words and try and picture in your mind the event or thought that they're describing. Give the speaker regular feedback. Summarise. Validate. Encourage. Don't jump to solution mode. And this is a big one. Remind yourself that you don't know the whole story of the person's life. Often what we want to do is... Put, as we're listening to a conversation or in a conversation, put people into this box and go, I know who you are, I know your story, I know exactly the situation you're going through, but you don't. Assume you don't know heaps. If a person's struggling in a, in a, in a marriage, you don't know the whole story. You know, if a person is um, finding it difficult to find a job, you don't know the whole story of why. And if they're talking to you, if a person's just coming innocently just to have a chat with you about just random stuff at the end of school and you're picking up your kids, don't assume that they're just wanting to have a gentle conversation. Maybe they're actually seeking you out for some reason. You can only work that out over time if you're listening. In fact, assume that God is doing something in people's lives. Try to feel what the speaker is saying. So there's some kind of really basic things about being an individual and being a listener, but there's another part of that, and that is about um, having opportunities to listen to people. So um, this is something I've been trying to do, so consciously putting yourself in situations where you're going to be talking to people. So um, you won't naturally cross over from your Christian tribe into another one if you're a Christian. It won't naturally happen, so you're going to have to take a step. Um, and this is not something that is um, the privilege of or the, something that introverted or extroverted people do better or worse. I find that introverts actually might struggle initially to form the, the kind of deep friendship, but once they're in the friendship, they're brilliant listeners. They're really good at um, having meaningful conversations and di- di- you know, actual being a friend to people, whereas extroverts are really good at quickly getting into something but then they're filling the space with all the noise of their own words and they're not necessarily good listeners. So we've all got things to work on. Um, so, so getting into these situations, one thing I've done this year is um, I've um, volunteered to be the classroom parent at, for Leo's prep class in North Fitzroy Primary. They asked me and I said, yeah, I'll do it. So what that means is that we, um, I have to organise some show... I actually don't know what it means, they haven't told me. But I think it's organising social events... Um, for the parents, a couple in the year. And so I'll get all the email addresses of the parents, I'll send them out, and hopefully something will happen. And I'm doing that because I just, I, I know how to organise a social event, and also I really want to be able to get to know the other parents because it's not happening. We're standing at the front of the classroom, and I have like one or two people I've got to know, but it's very hard just to break in and get to know other people. So this is hopefully going to, to develop that. And then actually, as a result of this, um, um, the teachers asked me to come in um, to the prep class and talk about what I do for my job as an Anglican minister. So, th- you know, I never thought I'd be getting an opportunity to do that at North Detroit Primary. 
It's not the kind of school that gets Anglican ministers in very often. Maybe it's partly because it turns out that Leo's teacher's father's an Anglican minister. And you just don't know what's going on, you know. And God does weird things, you know. And, and he works in partnership with you and with us. And, so, and we've just got to trust. Sometimes it feels a bit weird, but then actually God's doing stuff. Yesterday, when if you were at that concert, um, you would have looked around and you would have seen lots of people you didn't know. Ask you, did you go and talk to any of those people? Did you? Did you, did you get any names? Did you introduce yourself? And I hope you did, because that's what, what we're talking about. If you're in a playgroup, um, sometimes I think parents in playgroups can actually parallel play like the kids do. The kids parallel play, you know, when they sort of are all sitting next to each other but not actually playing together. And the parents sometimes can do that, um, where a, a new parent comes and you sort of are polite to each other but you don't get to know them very much. Um, I encourage you to not be like that, um, to actually take a step and not just talk, 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 but to listen, listen, listen. I'm not talking about radical evangelism. I'm just talking about living as a Christian in the world in a way that can make a difference. So we're Christ's ambassadors, and Proverbs 18 and James 1 shows us that our words and our listening makes a difference to people's lives. And as Bonhoeffer said, this is a gift to people that you can just sit and listen. This is what God does to you every day in your prayers. Um, And so you should do the same for others. You can actually change the world through being a godly listener. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you can open our ears um, to other people, not just to you, Um, that we can be active listeners as you are to us and that we can know and trust in you that you're creating opportunities for us and um, actually working with us um, in our mission to the world. Amen.